Hey listeners, welcome to episode 75 of Push to Plat. Be you first time voyager with us or returned journeyman or lady. Welcome, welcome. I hope you're having a wonderful day. I hope the gaming is going great. I hope the trophies are smashing it and the achievos are rising. Now we have a bit of a different episode for you today. The topic for today, we're going to be looking at launch lineups for the consoles, but we're not focusing on the PlayStation 5 or the new Xbox because you know what's coming. Not a lot by the look of it, but you know about all this all this re- already. What we're going to do today is actually deep dive way back to I think where we're going to start as far back as the Atari and just sort of have a meandering conversation, if you will. Now, I was very lucky this week to be invited on the Loot Bros podcast. Now, the Loot Bros are on all good podcast providers. You can find them everywhere. They're a weekly gaming show. They're not just PlayStation focused. They cover PC, they cover Switch, Xbox, everything, board games, you name it. They're into it. Even, I'm told, Batman occasionally. But it was my my pleasure today to join, uh, well, I should say my pleasure this week to join two of the hosts, Frosty and T-Bird, for this discussion. Now, I will preface it. There isn't a lot of Sony talk, or a lot of new Sony talk in there. So if you're not interested in that sort of earlier and retro stuff and and bit of the history of gaming then perhaps this second half might be uh you know might be might be time for you to start playing something and grind this away in the in the background of course the platinum shout outs will be at the end as well so why don't we start though with just a little bit a little bit of the news this week now unless you're living under a rock you know unless you haven't turned your PlayStation on you probably you've probably realized that the PSN level has changed. In fact, it's quite possible that you've capped in this last last few days under the change. So what basically happened was that the cap was extended from level 100 to level 999. Now that is going to really trigger somebody, isn't it? You know, and they'll never be able to get to the thousand. Well, at least not till the PS6, as uh, as Akum mentioned to me the other night. So that's, that's something that he's obviously looking forward to as, as well as look as many of you that are approaching that level but you know on a serious note this this level is an interesting thing sony has never shown that much interest in recent times anyway on the, the trophy system and yes this is a push into the new system the ps5 but it's a it's a change that has affected everyone i think in the community and in various ways and it's really made me stop and think, I suppose, about the community and its involvement and, and reaction to some of this artificial bling and st- statistics. So I sort of wonder now, have you, like, how do you feel about it? Are you happy? Are you, are you sad about it? Are you pissed off about it? Are you sort of raising your platinum torch now, you know, above the hill, waving it above your head and screaming, I want more? I don't know. I just don't, I don't know what to make of it all. But I think I think there's two sides to it, definitely. So why don't we first just break in very quickly to what it is if you have been living under the rock. So basically what they did is extend, as we said, the cap to 999. Now, this hasn't really changed the base values of the trophies except for the platinum, but we'll get to that in a moment. So now what they've done is they've introduced these three levels, if you like, the bronze, the silver, and the gold. Bronze from 1 to 299, silver from 300 to 599, and gold from 600 to 998. And then, of course, the cap or the platinum, if you like, at 999. 
Within each of these three levels are sub-levels as well. So 1 to 99, you get the idea all the way through three bronze, three silver, and three gold. So obviously now with this sort of inflated system, progression is going to be a lot faster. Now, as I know, many of us are trophy whores, <clears throat> hunters, of course, if you prefer that term. So we, we see a significant increase over, over the year of playing. But we have to remember that we're in the minority, you know, in this style of gaming. We're definitely in the minority, whatever you think. There are many people that are stuck on these levels for months, if not, you know, a year or years or whatever else, just by the nature of the way they play, whether they're playing on other systems or whatever else. So they don't see any progression at all. And therefore, they probably have almost no attachment to that number. Look, I know that's shocking, isn't it, for people here that, you know, live and breathe the statistics of the PSN number, the all-important PSN number. But now at least this will give them some sort of, you know, recognition, I suppose. Now, yes, I know you're thinking, well, isn't this just the participation award? And you'd be right. It is. It is totally the participation award. But who doesn't like to see a slight increase, you know, you know, a, a little bit of a forward movement, you know, especially if it's not medically enhanced? You know, why not? You know, it's not hurting any of us. So why not embrace this, this number inclination, if you will? So if we follow that line, if these people haven't been that interested, perhaps now they will become interested. Now, even if only a small percentage become more interested and Sony tracks this sort of a percentage and acknowledges it, you know, and follows through with it, it could see a benefit for all of us down the track. Last week, we talked to Maka all about the Microsoft rewards and Game Pass incentives. We're seeing that going on now with Microsoft as they're rewarding not only their long-term players, but also players playing there in the immediate now, every day, every month across the year. Perhaps if Sony sees more of an uptake and more of an interest, you know, beyond our community, beyond the, the trophy hunting community, if you like, to the more wider spread community, then perhaps we'll see some of these changes implemented. It's been very interesting having a foot in both camps because many of the Microsoft people I know now, they're, they're, like, they're almost jealous, I think, that, that there's been a change. But I don't think they fully understand the other side of the change. Of course, the superficial side, which perhaps many of us see in that it is just a bumping up of this arbitrary number. There hasn't really been any other follow through of sorts. Now, I know you're saying, well, CJ, you know, there is going to be trophy tracking coming, which, you know, is wonderful, wonderful, considering the X has had it for some time. It is going to make the grinding so much easier. You know, those kill trophies, those number of laps, how many, how much distance you have to drive in that grid car. That's all going to be so much better with tracking. So that is, that is definitely a positive. But let's hold off on that until we have more info and we see it come to bear under the PS5. So, obviously, one of the major criticisms about the new level is how quickly you move up at the start. But, you know, it is weighted, of course. As you move towards the top, the progress will slow down. Perhaps the biggest change, therefore, is the platinum value is now being moved to a reported 300 points. I've been reading all over the place that the platinum's now worth double. Well, that's not exactly correct. You know, it was 180 now. 180 plus 120 is 300. So it's not, it's not quite two thirds or something. But look, what is 120 really anyway? You know, it's just four silvers. I mean, well, look, if you play Rattalika and only Rattalika, that four silvers could take you all year. But, you know, for most of us, it's not that big an increase. 
what has been interesting, and I know we're getting a bit deep in, in the weeds here, a bit dirty, you know, but if you, if you don't like the leaderboards, if you don't, you're not participating in that sort of style of gaming, then, you know, you can just, you can just chill for a moment here. But for those that are, I've noticed a, a very interesting little bit of a shift in the top of the boards as well. Well, maybe not the very top, but sort of in that first two pages. And it does seem to be, whatever you think here, it does seem to be rewarding the completionists. Well, at least the platinum completionists slightly. I've noticed a few players that have moved up quite a substantial number of positions because they have around 200 plats more than many other people on the second page. Now, admittedly, they would be completionists. They're not playing as many games as everyone else, perhaps, but they're finishing more games. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Now, I know you're going to go on about rarity and all this sort of garbage, you know, and look, I understand that or whatever, but this is the, the system we have, and I don't think it's necessarily against completionists. If anything, maybe it favors them. Of course, yes, you have the, the five-minute plats and 10-minute plats, but, you know, you're fooling yourself if you don't think that everybody is playing those on those first few pages. And look, anyone can play them as well. They're not like some Japanese VN where you have to, you know, trade your sister into a Ford or join some illegal underground network to get access to them. These games are sort of 4 or $5, and they're approachable to every single person. So, so it's always an option, you know, I'm not encouraging you, but it's, it's an option if you so wish. So I think that increase is positive. The other side of things I've seen is that the 100% game is not relevant anymore. Why play the 100% game? And I suppose this is the thing that I've had a lot of interest with in the last few days. I also, well, I've sort of wondered if perhaps I'm more of a trophy hunter or I'm now more of a gamer that really enjoys the trophies on the side, a trophy enthusiast. Because when I see these comments in the community, I realize that there are people, and more power to them, that are playing solely for trophy points. The game, it doesn't really matter. And I know we've made jokes about that before or whatever, but it, it's sort of been clarified to, to me in the last few days, definitely from what I've read from people, that that is the, the primary reason to play. Now, I have no judgment here at all. I think that's wonderful. You know, you can play play however you want, play whatever you want, of course. And, and they are embracing that. But I think it's the first time I've seen where the game really isn't important at all. It's about the points. And it's very reflective in this argument about 100% lists not being valid. Of course, if you enjoy all games, you're going to enjoy games with or without a plat. You're not going to pick things solely on that reason. Although, again, if you do, more power to you. That's your choice, you know. Perhaps it's not worth the money if it doesn't have a plat. I mean, that is a, that is a personal decision. But having said that, on the PlayStation, there are some wonderful games that I've played in the last few years that are only 100% list. Brothers, Fragments of Him, there is tons and tons of them. I'm, I'm sure there's many that you have played. Of course, on the Xbox, most of those games have a 1,000G. I'm replaying some of them now on the Xbox because I enjoyed them so much, and I really do like getting rewarded the full 1,000, but it's not going to stop me from enjoying the experience because now, you know, maybe the Platinum Trophy is worth 120 more. Of course, that probably doesn't surprise you because I have so many unfinished plats already anyway, but it's an interesting argument that does that even really matter? I mean, whatever you're playing, you're going to get trophies for. You're going to increase your rank. Under this new system, you're going to increase the number even quicker. But of course, the journey to 999 is still going to be as challenging as the journey to level 100. Now, if we break that down, those last few levels, it's actually going to be even more challenging. 
The general numbers thrown around was that it's around a thousand platinums to reach level 100 under the old system. That that sounds like a massive number, but again, with the number of shorter plats that are available, you know, that can be done in like two years, perhaps, you know, some crazy person, even less sort of a time limit. And then you've got all your hundred percent and your incompleted games. So that would probably be a high number to me. It now seems to cap at 999 that the, the points requirements have gone up a little bit, you know. So we're looking at around 1,200 plats. So for some people, as I said, these numbers are, you know, ridiculously unattainable. But the reality is if you have 700 or 600 plats, you're going to have 1,200 one day. I mean, no normal sane person has 600 plats, do they? So you're definitely on that track. And look, if you have 200, you're probably going to be there as as well. It's just the natural progression. So for those people, I think it's wonderful that they can continue their game and continue working forward. It has been funny to see some of the people that were at level 100 or even above before under the, the trophy ranking site systems are now, you know, having a second attempt at the cap, if you like, which again, I think is wonderful. Obviously, on the flip side to the top uh, loosely 100 players uh, in the world at the moment that are level 999 already, there brings, you know, nothing, I suppose, to this. But it's not a negative. There was, there was no cap, you know, or no rising before. So this is, is the same thing. And, of course, if you want more of that, you can get that via your trophy tracking sites. So I suppose, you know, I suppose overall, I see it as a sort of a positive. It doesn't affect me, but I know, I don't know if it affects you or not. But one of the, perhaps one of the greatest things that has come out of all this is this word trophy inflation. I just love that. You know, I thought the Rattalaika was probably the trophy inflation index, you know, for the last few years. But, you know, now there's this word as well floating around the community. So if nothing else, I'm sure that is a win. Now, before we move on here today, listeners, now I know this is an audio show, so it doesn't interest you in the slightest, but it's wonderful to see in the Discord that we now have about six Kermits in a row sipping tea. That, that's something to be achieved. In fact, you know, hopefully, if all goes well, because this isn't going to come out till later this week, the Kermits will, will just continue. Perhaps nobody, no bastard will ever write anything else again in the Discord, just Kermit pictures. And look, if I was clever enough, I would actually make the Kermit turn right. But, you know, I can't do that. So we'll just continue. We'll continue on with the left. But look, you know, look, we're getting distracted. So why don't we shuffle across to some games that I've played this week? Now, there's, there's a bit of, bit of quality here. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit it. I'm going to shock myself here. I have finished the Mafia Definitive Edition. This is the full remake, the Hangar 13, uh, wonderful Hangar 13 game. So I don't have any real experience with this series other than I've played Mafia 3 probably, well, I should say I've started it probably four or five times and, you know, put varying amounts of time in, sometimes like up to six or seven hours, I think, on the latest attempt. And it's just never really sucked me in, I think. So deciding to play this game, you know, I heard that it was very good or whatever else. And I know that the the number two, which was just a remaster, got a recent remaster, got a bit of negative, you know, probably rightly so, I'm not, I don't know, uh, a bit of a negative reaction, but I thought, you know, this is supposed to be quite good or whatever, we'll give it a go. Now, if you've played it, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, uh, the original, but if you are, if you haven't played it, it's a wonderful narrative experience. I was expecting more like three, more of an open world, a lot of driving around and all this sort of stuff. It's much more linear if you want it to be. So, yes, you can go off and explore. And I understand, you know, at the end of the story, there's more freedom for for exploration in the city. But uh, primarily, it's a linear story, narrative-driven experience. And 
it's a wonderful, wonderful story, obviously, about the mob. It draws you in. The voice acting is spectacular. The use of these interludes or intermezzos, if you like, which is a wonderful term, appropriated here in the story, it just it just furthers it. You know, it furthers this idea that you are you are playing a movie, which I don't know, it really appeals to me. I think it's a good balance, though, with the gameplay because, you know, if you are a cutscene skipper, and I think you would lose a lot of value in this game if you were, then there's there's plenty of shooting still. There's plenty of driving. You know, there's plenty of other things that you can do. And there's plenty of variety in the missions. So on a technical standpoint, this uh, this remake, if you like, it, it, it really holds up. I think it's a beautiful looking game. I didn't have any glitches or any problems my whole way through it. Uh, as I said, the voice acting is wonderful. The music is wonderful. Just that traditional jazz that runs throughout, you know, through the radio stations. It's just, it's very immersive, a very immersive experience. You're probably looking at around 12, 12-ish sort of hours for the story, I'd say, but you will get sucked in. I think the 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 sort of narrative shape, if you like, is wonderful. The early on chapters, they're quite short, but they really do elongate towards the end. Perhaps I would have liked a little bit of a bigger ending, I think. But you know, overall, I think this is a this is a quality game. And depending on how you bought, or if you have bought, you know, number two or three or whatever, it might dictate, you know, whether you're prepared to pay the the quite substantial amount, I suppose, this is uh, as a standalone game. But if you haven't jumped into the three, I know there's some very attractive offers to buy them all in a in a three pack. And I mean, that's that's a ton of game if you do so wish. The trophies all seem fairly easy, except for the classic difficulty, which, look, I haven't tried because I just continually read threads about how this mission is impossible, then this mission is impossible, and this. I'm, I'm sure it's not, but, you know, it's, a, it's, not, it's not an attraction for a low-skilled gamer reading things like that. So, as I said, I, I wanted a bit more from the ending. So when it finished, I jumped over to Mafia 2, which I understand is a remake of the, the PS3 title uh, here. And, you know, it, it's not obviously not going to look as good. You know, it's going to have some rough edges. And I am playing this on the, the PS4. And yeah, it does. But it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be by any stretch. It's some time since I've played a, you know, a PS3 remaster, I suppose. So you know, there's the vividness that we always expect in the outlines of the characters, the outlines of the objects, and then, of course, the, the dullness or the lack of features as you get close with the facial features or the textures on the walls uh, and this style of animation. But, you know, that's to be expected. The voice acting is is very solid. Again, here, the music is wonderful. I'm only early on into this, so I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. And it's already starting off in that same narrative drive, which I like. And I think Perhaps it is why I bounced off the third one because I just didn't find that drive to be as consistent. I think the bloating was there. I mean, it, it's almost Assassin's Creed-esque by this stage, a, a curse of the modern game, I suppose, that there's just so much to do between story beats that the whole, you know, overall thing gets lost. And, you know, again, I know that's my own fault for playing so many different games, but but it's still a big commitment from story beat to story beat. So I look forward to to diving into that further. The next game I'm going to talk about is probably the hardest game I've ever had to talk about because it's not really a game. I mean, yes, it's on the store. Yes, it's a game, but it's so much more than a game. And it's also, I'm very conscious, not a game that you can really recommend to anybody. It's a game that if it interests you, you'll, you'll search out and you'll find and you'll play. But but it's, uh, I look, I'm not sure, you know, how to, to sort of push it or to sell it, I suppose, in that, 
that route. It is called, of course, Kentucky Route Zero. It's by Cardboard Computers, and it's published by Annapurna Interactive. So if you follow publishers, you'll know that Annapurna Interactive, they're usually, you know, anything they touch is, is like wildfire. It's fantastic. It's, it's worth looking at. This is no exception. It is, again, a highly narrative-driven game. It, it basically plays no pun intended, like a play, if you like, like a stage play. There are walls and walls of text in this game. None of it is a voiceover or read to you. So there is a, a lot of reading. It's also the sort of game that some of the reading feels like it's just, it's pointless or meaningless. And, and that can definitely be the case. There is a lot of filler text here, but a lot of it is for sort of side stories or thoughts or, or almost explorations of the creator, I suppose, where they, they've taken a line and they're just, they're just pushing down that line to see where it goes. Now, whether it all ties back all the time or not, you know, that, that would be for you to decide. But I think much of it is not supposed to tie in. It's very much a sort of an existential crisis sort of a game, I suppose, that that you have to be prepared to meet it halfway and then go the other half as well because it's not going to it's not going to meet you having said that the premise of the game is that you're a delivery man if you like and you're you're delivering you're trying to find this dogwood lane this mythical dogwood lane if you like it's set in Kentucky, obviously, a lot of mining there. And it's set in these underground mining tunnels, if you like, this this ide- ideological fantasy that all these tunnels are somehow joined together. So you can basically, you know, crisscross across the whole, the area, the whole state underground. And they call this plane the zero. But it's a lot more complex than that because it has this metaphysical element, if you like, almost a spiritual element as well, a blending of time and space under the ground. And perhaps, you know, that says a lot because under the ground there is no light. Perhaps, you know, time is reflected differently. I mean, we'd have to ask the mole people, you know, with their Vitas down there in the Vita Glow, what they think about time moving. I mean, the fact they're still holding the Vita and not the Switch probably speaks volumes. But that's the premise of the game. Now, as I said, it does play like a play and there is, you know, overall it's a point and click game. There is moving around, but there are also some wonderful just performances in this game. Through each of the five acts, there are there are actually performances, and, and I don't lie here, like music performances, if you like, that you can stop and listen to. Some that you're you're forced into to stopping and listening to. There's also these interludes between each chapter, and one of them actually plays out like a 20-minute play where you're just looking, you know, from side to side and around to forward the text. There's a lot of clever innovation in this game in the way that it uses text. If you're if you're used to, you know, or you experienced the 80s, you know, and these these wonderful text adventure books, then there's elements of this in this game as well. Also this turned on its head. Graphically it's an interesting study. It focuses on minimalism with black and white coloring, but then it also has some wonderful free drawn and impressionistic sort of colors used as well a color palette uh, as the game goes on i think overall the game it, it feels like water if you like or almost like air in that it's so hard to grasp onto but as you're playing it if you do commit and you do you do like this style of game there is so much on offer here and depending on how deeply you're prepared to take it the game does say a lot about life about love, about family, and also about the solitary pursuit that life 
you know, if you really think about it, is and can be in that we enter together and we will leave together. Whether you reach this dogwood lane or not, you know, even though it seems like the primary mundane, you know, materialistic need for your job that you have to do, it doesn't really matter as you see and you go through this scope of life and you meet people in the game that, you know, they're on a different plane almost, a different path, if you like. So, Look, you know, the short, you know, <laughs> to make a long of a short, I suppose, it does have a platinum or whatever else. You're looking at about 12 hours. Now, this is the sort of game if you are going to play, I'd recommend using the True Achievements walkthrough for this game. It's fantastic. It doesn't spoil it at all. And it will highlight how you, you get the trophies or achievements. They're the, the same there. The chapters, you know, they range from an hour to, as you get on, two to three hours, or the, uh, the acts. So you may not want to play them again, particularly if you're, you're not liking the game. And some of the achievements are game-spanning. So it's definitely worth looking at. Having said that, though, it isn't, it isn't difficult to get them if you know what you're aiming for. And uh, replaying the chapters, you know, you can do at any stage. There is a trophy for replaying the fourth chapter, which, or fourth act, which ironically is the longest one in the game. I know you're rolling your eyes. Why would you want to play it again? What a stupid trophy or achievement. But the way that chapter works is that there are always two choices or two divergent paths. And so, you know, if you're going for, for the first time, you'd probably play the one side. And then when you replay it for that particular trophy, you'd play the second side. Obviously, you can mix them up. It doesn't matter for the trophy. The second playthrough can be substantially shorter. And there is a skip of sort in that you can mash the circle if you're replaying same sections again or even, you know, turbo, I suppose, if you want. Having said that, this is definitely not a VN that you can skip for the easy trophies. I think, I know I've, I've spent quite some time on this game, but I do think it's a, it's a game that you know, perhaps for the more mature gamer, but I think it's one of those games that, that you really, if, if you do like game design, if you, if you do look for depth in your game, if, you, if you're happy to play more than just bang, bang, shoot, shoot, there is a lot here. I think this is a game that a lot of people will perhaps imply they've played or played some of, but perhaps very few will finish it strikes me a lot like Iron Rand, if you like. You know, everyone likes to throw around ideas and quotes, but the reality is very few people have committed to the whole journey. And I do think it's a worthwhile journey. Having said that, at the end, it, it, will, it, will, it will either strike you hugely in that way or hugely like you've wasted, you know, 12 hours of your life. But, I mean, that, that is ultimately the risk that you have to take with a game like that. There is two stacks, of course, the EU, NA, and it is available on PC and Xbox. So let's lighten the mood a little bit, if you like, with Big Bobby Car, The Big Race. This is by uh, the German developer, Independent Arts Software, and published by Wide River Games. Now, this company, they, I had a look into them. They actually did the Baella, the, the fairy game, recently. Uh, someone made a comment about how it looked a bit Bibi and Tina-ish in its, in its graphical style, and it's very true. So you can, you can see why that is when you look at that. Obviously, if you're not familiar with Big Bobby, uh, he is a child's plaything, if you like, a, you know, a decent-sized car that ch young children can ride around in. It's actually, it's actually a pretty decent, uh, decent child's game, if you like. Obviously, we've had things like Race with Ryan, uh, a few other total cash grabs, if you like, in this genre. This has more depth to it, you know. Whatever you think, you know, the Bibi and Tina, there was some sort of a game there. There's more of a game in this one. You're looking at about four to five hours or so. There's 40 missions in here. Everything is voice acted in German, but you can also choose English. There's an English uh, track as well. 
uh, there. And it's it's decent voice acting as well. Now, yeah, sure, the story is sort of childish. The controls are easy to manage. There's a drift, you know, but you don't really need it. Every race can be won easily. There's balloon collection races. There's tags, you know, it's boosting. There's nothing There's nothing crazy or whatever else. There's also collectibles, you know. The, the only downside to the collectibles are that they're not marked on the map or whatever else and uh i don't know it's just it's just a fun good time the price may be a bit of a turn off or whatever but as i said in the we put up a little bit of a platinum guide if you like or a walkthrough if you even need it on the youtube push to plat that'll that'll explain everything else you need to know but you know if it comes on sale or whatever else it's it's a uh it's a fun time or you know get it physically and flip it after you've got the plat if you if you so desire the only other things I can drop on you here, just a little bit of spam this week. The Birthday of Midnight, the Rattalika game offering. Obviously, you played the 36 fragments of Midnight. It's the same character. It's cute. It's probably a little bit easier than the others or whatever. There's 50 levels, maybe 50 minutes or so, maybe less if you're lucky, maybe a little worse. You know, it's just about shooting the angles or, or whatever else. It's a fun, good time. Donut Break, which is basically a reskinning of the Sushi head-to-head game. Yes, a little bit easier than the uh, the Sushi Break game. A little bit quicker just because of the star requirements. But look, it's a Sushi Breaker, Brick Breaker, and now a Donut Breaker. And I believe as of time of recording, there's now a Halloween Breaker as well. So this dev is obviously onto something. The Platinum with the Brick Breaker, same game, just reskin it. But look, why not? You know, it's fun. It's not too difficult or anything else. I look forward in the next few weeks to showing a little bit more love on Wastelanders 3, which I'm diving into, and Forza Horizon, plus a couple of other things. But I think what we'll do is we'll leave the the game talk there for today. So what we're going to do now is we're going to dive in, as I said, to this sort of console launch lineups throughout time. It is, as I said, it's, it's just a very relaxed conversation. You know, it's maybe a little little time to chill out if you like here a little bit of gaming you know history if you if you so wish this is definitely not my area of expertise so we very rarely touch this on push to plat so hopefully there's some value here and as i said at the end i'll be back with the platinum shout outs for this week she ain't mine but she looks fine gonna take some time gonna make her mind gonna make her This week's official topic, um, we are talking about launch titles for game consoles. Now, not just recent history. Now, we're, we're going to go through um, just historically through all of the video game consoles, not every single one, because there's a lot of trashy game consoles out there. I'm looking at you, Virtual Boy. And PS4. Uh, ColecoVision. The <laughs> Television. So yeah, yeah. This has been a topic that's been brought up a lot about uh, games that launch, you know, uh, launch days for consoles. Um, and, and something I noticed that in, in the past, and Nintendo was always good about this. Really, still is. I feel like Nintendo. You look back, like consistently, Nintendo's always had the best launch games. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just my opinion. Um, <clears throat> But, uh, you know, it, it's interesting to see people 
you know, when we debate about what console to get at launch based on launch titles, I always think back, you know, even back when, when PS4 came out, I remember uh, coercing my wife into letting me buy a PS4 by selling all of our Xbox 360 stuff and pre-ordering it, going day one, picking it up at GameStop, back when that was a thing, um, at midnight. I think they still do midnight releases, but it's like nine o'clock now because no one wants to hang out until 12, one o'clock in the morning, I guess. And you got to install like 150 gigs of data. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that could be, that's another conversation itself. You know, um, how many people are moving towards digital just because they're, they don't want to have to leave their house <laughs> to go pick up the game. I used to love that. Go, go with my friends, go pick up the new Call of Duty or something. Um, so I remember shout out to Big Mike, me and uh, Big Mike, and who else was with us that night? That was a fun night. We went out to GameStop, picked up Modern Warfare Two, and brought it home and played. That was good stuff. Were you there with us? No, I didn't know y'all then. Modern Warfare Two. Yeah, I was still in high school. Oh, young and really? I think we started playing around Black Ops. Uh, oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, because we made fun of you for wanting to play dress up all the time. <laughs> you got to, man. You got to look cool. <laughs> well, then why are we playing this game? I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, um, so yeah, so uh, uh, the PS4 came out, and we had what Resogun and Battlefield Four that got ported over. Something like that. Yeah. So there wasn't like much going forward at launch, you know, like we knew we, we had a bunch of games coming out, but you know, there was nothing, there was really nothing to brag about launch wise. I know we had like a new kill zone, which was okay. That kill zone was okay. Uh, I couldn't get into it. Um, I feel like it's one of those yeah. games, like looking back, it's not as bad as I thought it was, but I just, I don't know. It just bored me. I got to the final stretch of the game and it's like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> or I just got, I think, I think I got stuck on something on the, like the final part. And I'm just like, yeah, uh, I'm not putting forth the effort for this anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, also, I mean, one of the big launch games for PS4 and Xbox there was the Lego, was it the Marvel Avengers? Uh, it was one of, or the, I think it was this one. Uh, or whatever else, which in itself was a bizarre thing. That and then, of course, the Assassin's Creed uh, uh, Black Flag was ported across as well. But I mean, that's what's so interesting about this whole thing is that you know, in the current climate, oh, you know, nobody has any any games or any first party launch releases. But that's pretty typical, or it's very typical for Sony as well. And like the they rely on the third party, and they're going to rely on that again this cycle or whatever else, oh. because it, it takes a few years for first party. I mean, Nintendo is the exception. They actually have games ready, don't they, yeah. when they, when they release, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so. Like, having, having Breath of the Wild available, was that a launch title? Yeah. Yes, Pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, 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 it was. Like, having Breath of the Wild available at launch was a huge deal, you mm. know? Um, whether you like like the game or not, like, that's, like, it's a marquee Nintendo title, that has been around for 30, 30 years, has tons of fans, and it's available at launch on the launch of the console. Pretty impressive. Uh, so yeah, uh, with that being said, we're, we're going to go ahead and jump right into this. Um, starting with, uh, I mean, we can go all the way back in time here. Uh, Atari 2600. 
saw a U.S. launch in September 11th, 1977. Whoa. <laughs> Illuminati confirmed. Uh, I mean, it came in with, like, Street Racer and Video Olympics, Combat, and a bunch of other trash games. Uh, now, I would see a Japanese launch with more marquee titles like Asteroid, Centipede, Pac-Man, Space Invaders, all, like, big-name arcade games, right? So, um, that's just an example of like how, in, in my opinion, the the Japanese market had always kind of like ruled as far as launch launch titles. Um, I mean, even if we look back at like the the, the very first Xbox, like it had a very lackluster launch lineup, and really was saved by Halo. Like <clears throat> without Halo, essentially Xbox, there's no telling what Xbox futures would have been like. Hmm. Uh, fair file. I don't even know what the Fairchild Channel F is, yo. I don't even think you're saying real words. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, and television, ColecoVision. ColecoVision actually saw a Donkey Kong release, which I can imagine being absolute trash compared to the arcade. Um, Third generation. Here we go. This is the good stuff here. Uh, Japanese, the Famicom saw Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Popeye. They're actually bad launch games, in my opinion. But especially Popeye. That game, that game can suck it. Um, but the U.S. launch of the Famicom, or would be, would, would be called Nintendo Entertainment Center <laughs> System, um, you know, had games like Duck Hunt, Sight Bike, and... Mario Bros, which was huge, and, and you even had Super Mario Bros and Duck Hunt bundled together. What a novel idea! Um, having two game, two like big name games back in the day, you know, right off the rip at launch, available. Wild Gunman was pretty cool. Kung Fu, uh, Might was actually the 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 terrible uh, Rob game. The uh, little Nintendo robot. Yeah, that was that was bad. Um, I love the fact that you know so much about these like old Nintendo games. Yeah, I mean, I've been playing games a long time, and you know, it's a lot of these I've personally played, and then there's a couple that I've just heard about that never had you know, like Ice Climbers. Ever heard of? Always heard of it. Never played it. I, like Ice Climbers, I, I really feel like didn't really get well known until Smash Bros. When people are like, "Who are these characters?" Oh yeah, like Ice Climbers. That's a thing. Um, Hogan's Alley. That was another Nintendo's uh, African. Uh, the European launch came out two years later, about the same time, maybe a month later, and it saw yeah Mario Bros. Side by Launch day one. That was pretty cool. Um, moving around long. The Famicom disc system. Whoa. That's, that's deep roots there, man. I'll skip that one for now. Uh, you, you can go into it if you want. Well, I don't know much about the actual disc system. All right, fair enough. Continue. Well, I know that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
Well, I know that they had released um like they 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 changed up the cartridges to where they were actually like little like zip drive looking disc thingies and there we saw a uh like the launch of Super Mario Bros. 2 in Japan, which is called the Lost Levels in America, and they had actually um here's something for you like gaming historians out there. Duh. Super Mario Bros. 2 was too hard for American audiences. Like, we, we had a, uh, our, the U.S. HR department from, or the, the not HR, but the um, the game tester, basically, from America. <laughs> I, like, I like the fact that human resources is like, whoa, whoa, gosh, whoa. This <laughs> game <laughs> way too hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, like, we had a guy who would travel to Japan to try out the games for America to see what would market to American audiences because you know there was a lot of weird games in Japan that like you know we were kind of like I don't know if that would market well now definitely it would because you know America's and Japan have had like this weird relationship um for years now like now we're everyone's turned into weeaboo so um but Super Mario Bros 2 you know following the the launch or, or following the first game which is a huge hit was just too hard. Mm. And so they wouldn't release um um anyways uh where was I? Oh yeah. So we wouldn't see a American release until um Super Nintendo when it released All Stars and you had the lost levels and everyone was like, what is this? It was it was the real Super Mario Bros. two because we all know that they took uh, there's a Japanese game called Doki Doki Panic, and they reskinned it to make it Super Mario 2. That's why Super Mario 2 is just vastly different than the first one. Um, just a little fun tidbit of gaming history that people may or may not know. Um, so we're gonna skip over. There's a bunch of other stuff. Like they can't. There's like four different Ataris. If you're not playing Spider Fighter, then get get the f out. <laughs> Uh, Sega, <laughs> Sega Mega Drive, hmm. a Japanese launch, October 29th, 1988. You had Alt Beast, uh, Space Harrier 2, Super Thunderblade. I don't think I ever played. I don't think I played any other except Altered Beast. Yeah, I think that's the only one I've ever played awesome. too. You had the the U.S. launch would see Altered Beast again. Uh. Isn't that the one with the uh, rise from your grave? Yeah, rise from your grave. <laughs> Power up. Yeah. Good game. It's a good game. Yeah, it was definitely. Um, like a CD. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> and Night Trap. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a God. classic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I have that on my Switch. I played like five minutes of it. I just haven't had a chance to like, go through and actually play it. My goal was to like beat that game to say I beat Night Trap in my life. Like <laughs> that game was super controversial back in the day. Yes, yeah. yeah. Violence in video games. And then you look at it and you're like, what is this? A child made this script. Like, what? Yeah. yeah. That's some super B horror movie stuff. Yeah. So here's a here's an interesting uh so now we're getting into the age where Sega knew that like Nintendo was still kicking rump. And Sega knew that the Super Nintendo was coming, and so they were doing all that they could to push um, innovation and push um, graphics. And so they were releasing like attachments, like the, the 32X, 
the CD attachment, and they were coming out with all these like games. Some of them were PC port, like they had a Doom port uh, for the Sega 32X, and it was awful looking. Like it played like trash. Um, and then they had a bunch of like you know these games that they look like real people, kind of like Night Trap, which was not a good game at all. Like it was a the game's awful. Um, so they were really pushing. You know, Sega was, had always been good about pushing. Uh, innovation and all like they were one of the first consoles that had to innovate um or invent uh wireless controls they were one of the first consoles to implement online play and i guess what i'm getting at is when the super nintendo came out they really kept it simple you know it was 16 to 32 bit and they just worked on the quality of their games so, like we're gonna put out good games that are just gonna be memorable you know, and, and at the time, who knows if they even knew what they had, you know, when they came out with games like Super Metroid, Chrono Trigger, Donkey Kong Country, hell, Super Mario World. Um, you know, like, they didn't look as good as, like, some of the Atari Jaguar games and stuff. But, you know what, they played a hell of a lot better. And that's that was kind of a point I was trying to make earlier, is when you have, you know, um, this console has all these amazing graphics, but if the games suck, or if the games are just lacking, then, like, you should go with the console that has the better games. You know what I mean? Mm. Just my opinion. Um, yeah. Everyone's, enti- you know, everyone's entitled to what they want. Everyone likes what they like. And that's fine. But that's just like my argument, I guess, when it comes to like the big tech versus you know quality of the games. It's, it's important. It's important to note that, especially in console. Like if you're going to talk about power and games, just get a PC. <laughs> just go out and just go out and buy a PC. Yeah. It's it's an interesting it's interesting to hear you talk about it because just when we had a break there for a moment, T Bird and I were talking, and and neither of us, by the sound of it, were in a similar position. Neither of us played, you know, anything really of substance, or you know, had access even to to many of these consoles. And I, like, you know, over the last two years, I continually run into people that have played, like yourself, have played these older games, and you know, I've heard these words of these consoles, but they. They don't mean anything to me. And so sort of towards the end of last year, I decided to read this Console Wars book. And I know everybody, you know, goes, oh, you should read it, you should read it. I know there's a, a movie or something or whatever, the book by uh, Blake Harris. And I read it and it's it's a really easy read, but because it, it was the time like, you know, in the 80s or whatever, I think it focuses on predominantly, you know, I was probably a little bit too young to, well, I was too young to, 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 to buy a system myself and, and we didn't have any. So, I, you know, I didn't, didn't know any of this was happening, but, you know, you, you referenced it with Night Trap, but it, it's an amazing book because he, he has incredible access to Tom Kalansky, who was the head of uh, Sega America at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think, now I could be wrong because I don't know the earlier history of consoles thoroughly, but it seems like that point was the first time an, an American, you know, wing of, of a Japanese gaming company actually stood up to them. Obviously, Nintendo, you know, a Japanese company, they never had to deal with Nintendo America. Uh, they they were just very much in line or whatever else with with you know what the, the homeland wanted, I suppose. But he really he really stood up to the Japanese or whatever else. And I mean, they, they sought him out as well. I mean, he was the head uh, CEO of um, uh, oh one of the the, the bar, whoever makes Barbie Mattel, I think it was at the time, and and you know these other massive companies. So he's a very successful businessman that had nothing to do with games. So he he bought you know a marketing and, and business strategy to the company. But but you know. Right. 
he basically, and I, I'm probably not telling you anything you, you don't know, but it was fascinating for me to see, you know, Japanese culture. It, 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 I find it fascinating because it's a very staid culture. It's very, you know, honors tradition, honors culture. You know, I mean, Nintendo itself is a company that, you know, I think it was established in 1880. And yeah, bizarrely. It's a toy yeah, that's right. Well, bizarrely, it was also cigarettes, uh, cigarettes, tobacco, and tobacco cards is where it started as well. So it was all sorts of things like to get where it is. But it, it predominantly, like most Japanese companies, it's kept within the family, you know, whatever else. And and for for Sega to really allow this this Kalansky dude, American, you know, of all things, too, at the time, such free reign. And the book really goes into it because it was a very tough relationship between the two of them. And ultimately, it was that relationship which probably, you know you know, destroyed Sega to a degree. I mean, they could have, they were really, you know, toe to toe with Nintendo for a lot of, for, for some time there. And it just, mm-hmm. it got away from them, unfortunately. But it's, it is a fascinating read if you're interested in that, because they look at, you know, the Sonic and how they, they changed Sonic from what the Japanese wanted to what would work in the American market. And I think for, for what I understand of the industry, it seems to be the first time where, you know, the, the Japanese n- needed to consider the fact that, well, shit, we can't sell, you know, this game or this product like it is. We do need to make allowances and considerations for the, the wider market. And obviously now today, you know, we, we see the opposite problem, you know, like they're, if anything, they're, they're catering more for the Western market than they are the Japanese market now, Sony, Nintendo, and, you know, well, Xbox never had a footing in there anyway. But it's a really interesting situation, I think. And as I said, if you're, if you're in any way interested in that and you're like me that doesn't have much basis in it, I'd highly recommend that book because it's just it's just fascinating to, to realise, like, uh, you know, in, in hindsight as times pass, just how crazy some of the what they were doing was back then. And, you know, even yeah. that, as you said, the Night Trap stuff that led to, you know, the, the Senate inquiries and that, that was basically a farce, you know. I mean, the Nintendo and, and Sega almost worked together there to create a ratings board that they self-monitored. Like, a whole lot of bizarre shit was going on behind the scenes and, and fascinating, though, yeah. But I, right. I think, you know, a lot of people, including myself, didn't realise that, you know, we owe the games, the diversity in games that we have now to that particular period in time, I think, because that's where you know, the Japanese companies really did have to acknowledge that, you know, the Western perspective was different. And to sell games, we had to, you know, like you were saying, either make them easier or different or, or change them to cater for a market as well. Right, Sorry, exactly. Interrupt. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I, I welcome it. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, if anyone has a chance, then go to, uh, go to YouTube, check out The Gaming Historian. He's got a ton of videos on there. Um. And they're very in depth, very lengthy. It gives the like very uh informative. Uh I got one of my favorite ones was the probably like the the history of um get the history of Super Mario three, which was a really good one. Mm-hmm. And then there was another one where it was just talking about uh Nintendo in general and it talked about like Miyamoto and his team uh at R and D four. Um research and development for uh and just like the stuff they made like this team was responsible for uh zelda mario like you know miyamoto's whole team i think i think even um maybe even donkey kong i could be wrong but like they were just coming out with all these like heavy hitting games that are like now have left their mark on the gaming industry Mm. in such a huge way you know what i mean Mm. and uh it's just incredible to see that, you know, like one of my favorite stories is uh, like Link's Awakening, for instance, 
wasn't ever really supposed to be a game. Um, like they had just done, um, I think, uh, the second Link game. This was like Game Boy had just Game Boy came out and it was huge. You know, it was it was selling like hotcakes. It it sold for a long time, even like uh, even when like the newer Game Boys had come out. Like it it, it its lifespan was like. You know, it'd make the beat a blush. Yes. But uh <laughs> Link's Awakening was an interesting story because like the team uh, at R and D four had like they were just messing around and they had an idea for a new Zelda game where they're like, We wanna have a game where Zelda or or we wanna have a game where Link doesn't have to he can put items in his hand other than a sword and shield. So if he wanted to carry a sword and a bomb, he could. If he wanted to carry, you know, a bomb and a boomerang, he could. And they brought it to Miyamoto, and Miyamoto was like, I don't know. Uh, you know, his, he's got to have a sword and shield. That's like his staple. And so what they did was they went, like, they went uh, as a side project. <laughs> like, while they were developing games, these, these jokers went and started developing Link's Awakening. And just as a, as, for fun. <laughs> and it's like one of the coolest, like, if you play it, like, it's way different in, than a lot of the earlier Zeldas. Because you can, you have like you have items that like let you jump, you know. You have a uh, a lot of the characters that you meet are like nothing like you'd meet like you you meet a talking alligator for God's sake. Like when do you do that in Zelda? <laughs> um, and you have this owl that like follows you around and talks to you, which I mean you wouldn't you wouldn't get a character like that again to like link to the past. I mean not link to the past. Um, um, of time. But uh, my point is like it was just this completely off the wall. Zelda game and like they pitched it to the higher ups and they were like, yeah, we like this. This is good. This needs to be on Game Boy. And so they took it to, to Miyamoto and Miyamoto gave it his blessing and he's like, well, I like it. And so he kind of put his creative twist on some of the stuff in the game. And so from there they were able to develop Link's Awakening and it's like that stuff like that just blows my mind because it's like, it, it's not it's not about politics. It's not about, you know, um, you know, we could put this out and put microtransactions in it and make a ton of money. It's like, we're gonna, you know, yeah, we want to make money, but like this, this, it was like a fan service. It's like, hey, you guys like Zelda? Well, here's this like really crazy off the wall Zelda title that you could play anywhere with your Game Boy, mm. you know? And that just amazes me. <clears throat> so, yeah, Gaming Historian, go check it out on YouTube. It's, it's good stuff. You can spend a lot of time just watching all his videos. It's interesting um, to hear you speak passionately like that because I think having not played these things, I don't, and you know, it's maybe it'll, you know, it'll just, well, I won't shock people, but you know, I'm sure it's a differing opinion to many people that have been playing games, but because I didn't, I had no real affinity for Nintendo because I'd, I hadn't played any of their properties, you know, and you always hear how, you know, Nintendo was so innovative in the industry, you know, and they make such wonderful products that, you know, they 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 work properly and, you know, they're, they're, there's a high quality control and, you know, dating right back in all their games and I was like yeah, well, you know whatever or whatever it, it meant sort of nothing to me because I didn't have the experience with them and yeah I bought a switch right. but you know the switch is I mean it's any it's anything and everything now it's yes it's a Nintendo thing but you can play anything on there so you don't get the Nintendo feel perhaps that you would have with right. the, the older systems and that's not knocking it if anything that's that's a it's a plus for them that they have both I think it's it's very exciting but but for, for me to realize, you know, that, you know, in a lot of ways, I think almost, almost, you know, Sony, well, admittedly, Sony had the chance to, to work with Sega, didn't they, till they fucked them over, but uh, well, they, yeah. they fucked each other over, I suppose, potentially, but, you know, and, and there's obviously all three of those companies had, had a difficult history or whatever at a time there. 
or whatever, but it just shows that, you know, they, they owe th- that period of time between those sort of three companies. And even Sony were on the back edge of that time. That was when most of the innovation was happening and where, you know, the games were still being made in-house as well to when we get to, you know, like the, the third, the rise of the third party, you know, with EA and things after that becoming mm-hmm. so prominent, which is where, which I find bizarre because yes, now you pay for your exclusives, you know, your first parties or whatever, but you know, like, I don't know how you're spending your time, but I play a shit ton of games. And, you know, just by sheer attrition of hours, most of them are not going to be on first parties. You're going to be spending more time playing third party because there's just more of them. So, so you know, the, the launch lineup, I think, has changed predominantly from that time when it was first parties created by the people that made the, you know, the hardware or divisions of it that knew how the hardware really worked to now, you know, like a core fringe group of studios that are owned by the provider producing, you know, maybe what sells the best. But but largely for a, for a more, you know, regular or a hardcore game, it probably in reality makes up a small percentage of their actual game time. You know, I mean, look at what we talked about today. We didn't talk about any, uh, you know, first party games, you know, and I mean, you know, that's just convenient perhaps, but I don't know, like it, it, that's what I, I seem to, to, to feel now. It, it's become less relevant almost, I suppose, from the golden age of gaming. It makes us sound old, doesn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's older than, you know, I know it might make it sound like it's a hundred years old or something, but sometimes it feels that way. Yeah. Um, but um, now we move into what we speaking of golden age of gaming. I feel like we move into that now with the Super Famicom or the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Japanese launch would see Super Mario World Day One, November twenty first, nineteen ninety, uh, with F Zero. Um. You know, F Zero is an interesting one. Uh, I wasn't ever a huge fan, but the music is amazing. Mm. They really pushed the limits of that the the sixteen bit graphics chip that was in it at the time. Um, in the game at least, <clears throat> but uh, but then you had Super Mario World, and like that game is, you know, it's it's left its its mark, gaming history, and you know it's gonna stay there. Like it's just. You're talking like the epitome of 2D platforming. I think that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the U.S. launch would, you know, we'd see August 23rd, 1991. We'd get Super Mario World again. F-Zero Pilot Wings, which <laughs> eight <laughs> love relationship with that game. SimCity and then Gradius 3, which I didn't know was a launch title. That, that Konami gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that game was hard. It was so good. That game was cool because you had like different options on how you could build your ship. Mm. Like, um, you could have bombs that would just drop straight down. You could have the ones that would like drop down, shoot out like missiles. Um, then you had like different ways you can build your lasers. You can have one shooting straight up, one shooting out, and you can have like one shooting straight and then one shooting back up the, the plane. That was a cool game. Mm. It was hard though. It amazes me too that SimCity was uh, in the launch lineup. I, I hadn't, I didn't know that. that that's fascinating. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we're still we're still sitting at like a a, a good solid launch to launch titles. Like like mm-hmm. Super Mario World alone. If we look back in history, like Super, like Mario in general was really pushing the industry at this time. Like like he was such a household name. 
like everyone knew who Mario was. Like they were obsessed with Mario. They had to play the latest Mario game. And the fact that this came bundled with the system, bundled with the system just like the other ones, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really helped drive console sales. And, and you know that was at a time where, um, you know you, you didn't have to like show off the specs of a console. It was just like, hey, we have Mario. <laughs> we have this game that you want. So now you know gaming's evolved and, and it's different now. There's just so many different options, variables, and hoops to jump through. But yeah, uh, that, that also sorry to jump in again. You <laughs> cut me off yeah. if you wish. But the other cool thing yeah. I thought you know I think about that is that I always hear about Mario and like my my first experience with Mario was we're at a friend's house or whatever else and, and I got exposed to two things AFL football which we won't get into because I know it doesn't interest any American but you know, <laughs> a thing that I hated I hated that with a passion for all my early life because it goes on forever that game now I'm a tragic I love it you know we watch it all the time so so it's funny how you change but Mario as well I remember we went to this kid's house and he was like quite good at it I think he must have played it a lot and I remember just watching it and because you know not having played or anything like I was kind of mesmerized by it I think and I think I had a turn of it at some point but I didn't want to play because it was at the time you know if you hadn't played a console before it's not a good game to start with I think it's probably easier choices or something or, or better things but I do remember that that whole thing was quite was quite amazing but you know that's all that I saw and then it wasn't until years later that I came across Sonic which of course was at the same time or whatever else and you know it it I find it interesting today because you know Nintendo has this wholesome family image which is you know is is fine that's what it is and you know it's all tied up in characters like Mario that's what they were selling that's what they were pushing and then you did and I know I keep coming back to Sega but you know I always like the underdog I like the nasty a little bit and Sonic was the ultimate you know and I don't know if you have a preference for character but he was the ultimate difference he was the arch you know the arch villain I suppose in, in comparison you know they made him hip they made him cool or whatever else they made him angry at adults you know that was the whole point of it they made him fast like super fast that was the whole point it had to be faster than mario you know and all that sort of stuff and i just like to have those two opposing characters like that i don't we're probably at a time now where we can't have that anymore because you know everything's been done but it was yeah i don't think we can just talk about you know mario without talking about the other side as well right yeah and uh so now, this is an interesting um, time that we enter now in the this was called, I guess, the fifth generation. Uh, Sega Saturn launched right before the PlayStation. Yeah. The Sega Saturn was at a weird spot because you had uh, Sega still fighting <laughs> to compete with Nintendo while the PlayStation was on the horizon. Um, you know, and we know that Nintendo and PlayStation had a deal to uh work out to make a system uh nintendo backed out of the deal went with panasonic made a god-awful console with god-awful games and they had two zelda titles on the console both of them were dick uh and it's like a saturn would come out and it would see games like virtual fighter <laughs> daytona usa which is i believe art of the arcade port um had some weird mist, which was a PC port. Mm-hmm. So it, that was a that was a weird console. So it comes that out. was a I played mist. That was a very interesting game. Been playing it about ten years old. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird game. Now Sega Saturn did have some uh, 
Like they had a really good console port of Street Fighter Alpha Two. I do know that because I know the the Super Nintendo port was trash. <laughs> <laughs> like whenever it would go, it'd be like round one fight. There was like like twenty second pause <laughs> before you could actually fight. Then like the the game just wasn't smooth, and it just, I don't know. That was the only like game that I. I that was the only way that I knew the game, though, at the time when I was a kid. You know what I mean? So I didn't, it didn't bother me before. Mm-hmm. But then, like, you play the actual arcade later, <clears throat> and then you realize, oh, wow, this game is, this is not a good port. Mm-hmm. Then PlayStation would come out in Japan, December 3rd, 1994. Uh, <laughs> let me know if any of these um, Japanese titles sound familiar. Mahjong Station Mezzan. Mahjong. Did you just put like? Did you just put like some kind of curse on there? I had a stroke. Uh, Mahjong Goku Sky at Sushi. I understood Goku and Sushi. Okay. Uh, Tama Crime Crackers. That's uh, <laughs> that's a that's just the good old game about white cops. Um. Uh, <laughs> uh, now you have Ridge Racer. That's a that's a uh, that's a staple there. Uh, okay, so you had the U.S. launch. You had Air Combat, Battle Arena, Toshiden, which I remember. I remember that game being awesome. Like, I remember it being awesome, but it's not. <laughs> Let's not get it twisted. In the realm of fighting games, Battle Arena, Toshiden can suck a butt. Like, that game is not good. But I remember seeing it in, um, this is when you could go on, like, Sears, and they had the video game set up. You could actually play uh, the demos. Mm-hmm. And, uh... That was just the mesmerizing to me to see this. Like, wow, it looks so real. It didn't look real. It didn't look real at all. Oh, it's amazing how it's amazing how generationally how that changes. Like every console is like, wow, it looks so real. Hmm. Like, I don't know what do we say now. It just it looks good. Like, there's a lot of pixels. Hmm. It's not AK. I can't play this trash. <laughs> Well, the like innovations are less now, aren't they? Like I heard, uh, heard um, uh, his uh, host Chris, a host of R Three Sense podcast, and and he's been gaming his whole life. You know, he's in a, you know same sort of ages as us or, my, or myself or whatever. And and he's you know he's a master in these these retro games and and knowledge and and stuff like this. And I heard him say recently on their show that that you know it's been a wonderful gaming has been a wonderful journey for him starting you know in the 80s or whatever else too to sort of modern day because it has changed so much and he's been able to live through the changes and as an art form it, you know it, like I know I've referenced it as an art form before and I know people go oh my god here we go again but it's an interesting because it has progressed so quickly really in like you know 30 years or something but you know, I don't think there's very far for it to progress now, or not not in its standard form. You know, so so the jumps between generations, sure, there's power loading, whatever else you can you can run eight games at once or something. You know, in, in states or whatever, save things and but predominantly the games themselves are reaching a, a pinnacle. At, you know, in the standard position, and you know now they then they look at narrative devices like breaking the fourth wall, but that's not a gaming thing. It's just something they they've adapted to these things, but 
you know, the, the standard gaming, like, I mean, where does it go from here anyway? You know, whereas back then you, you could noticeably see the innovations between the consoles. Now, what, what can you say? Oh, it's going to run faster. You know, the fan won't sound like it's going to take off and you need to hit it with a baseball bat. No, thank God. You know, like the, the, the overall, like the steps forward, but the steps forward are much smaller now than they were back then, I think. I don't know how you feel about that. No, yeah, the generational jumps are almost non-existent now. Because, mm, mm. like, right now, all it's going to be is, oh, 4K looks a lot better. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and that's that'd be a good segue into, like, this generation right now with PlayStation 64. Like, there was, everything was about 3D. We got to make it 3D. Mm. Got to make it 3D. It's got to look good. And, like, let's face it, there was a lot of 3D games coming out. But because it was such a new technology, like, and it hadn't been, like, you know, tuned it, it, <laughs> there was a lot of bad like 3d games oh yeah um now we'll say like nintendo had a good system going like if you look back the still leading the charge like playstation some of playstation's best games in my opinion weren't their 3d games like i i hold a lot of those dear you know like tenchu was a good one for me i mean like it still looks really rough but uh i really like that game a lot nightmare creatures was cool I was like free Dark Souls. Um, uh, what else? Like all my favorite PlayStation games were like Street Fighter Alpha Three, which was a fantastic port, arcade port. Uh, Symphony of the Night, which was a two D Metroidvania game. Like it created the term Metroidvania. Um, you know they weren't three D games. Like, but you mean you go to Nintendo sixty four, you had games like. Uh, Super Mario 64, which was a launch title. It was a fantastic 3D game. It still holds up well. It's still a great game. So, um, but that was a good one. But going back to PlayStation, like you had launch titles, like you had Ridge Racer again. Uh, Zero Divide. I don't even know that. Rayman. That's, you know. Oh, the old classic Rayman. The old classic Rayman. The NBA Jam Tournament Edition. I mean, that's pretty, I can get behind that. That's pretty solid. Hmm. Is it pushing console sales at that time? I don't know. I think. Possibly. I mean, possibly. At, the, at that time, maybe. But I know PlayStation did something right. They sold a lot of consoles. Uh, and then you had the best game ever made, Street Fighter the movie. <laughs> that game was awful. Such a bad fighting game. Such a bad game. <laughs> like. Take everything about Street Fighter that we know and just throw it out the window. They put Van Damme in the game. Also, they had a they had a Kuma so, in the game. He wasn't even in the movie. Wait, was it, so was it based off the movie or was it the actual movie? It is Street Fighter the movie, the game. It's the game, but it's based so off. That's the whenever game. that's whenever they were doing like the uh, catch, like they were capturing the actual people and putting it in there. Yes, and it was awful. So it was like Mortal Kombat style, um, you know, like the, I don't know. I want to say they had the, you know, a lot of the staple moves from Street Fighter, but they all just looked so awkward and weird. Like it just wasn't, ugh, wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course, sixty Nintendo sixty four saw Pilot Pilot Wing sixty four at launch, which no one played because everyone was playing Mario sixty four because it's. This game still to this day one of the best games ever made. Uh, Atari Jaguar. 
you had Cybermorph. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was another thing too. I mean, Atari was was trying to push push the limits too with like amazing 3D graphics, but at the time, you know, it's like you weren't doing it right. Like we weren't ready for that. A little ahead of their time. Um. Yeah, I can say I've actually never played an Atari system at all. I mean, I would say you're missing out, but you're really not. <laughs> it's a, it's an experience, but yeah, it's what it is. Uh, now here we go, Sega Dreamcast. Now you're talking about great launch titles. Uh, this was, of course, Sega's last hurrah before they would uh, inevitably sell out to just make games for companies. Which it, there was talks about. Nintendo doing that in the future. I don't know. It might be a while for that ever happen. I, I mean, if 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 Nintendo decides just to make games to, for Xbox or PlayStation, I would definitely, I'd be down for that. You know what I mean? Just make it easier for me just to, to play Zelda on my PlayStation. Sure, but uh, <clears throat> Dreamcast exclusively to Xbox though. <sighs> I wouldn't buy an Xbox for that. Did you hear though the the current rumor is that that uh, Nintendo will, you know, they may also go the way of Microsoft and make the Switch their last console, but use an Apple model of just iterating on that console from now on. You know, so every year, a couple of years, releasing a like you know the Switch Two, the Switch Three, the Switch Four, basically. And and I'm, and, I'm fine with that. Yeah, that's right. You know, because I mean, you know, the tech the tech is literally the only you know, complete package in a way, isn't it? I mean, it's handheld plus mm-hmm. play on the screen. So yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing if they do do go down it's, that line. It's a, it was a very smart business model, you know, and it got a lot of hate when it first got announced, but it's like, you know, there, there's some things I think they could do a little better. Like the Joy-Cons could be a little, little sturdier, which I know they've, since launch, I, I believe they've done better about, like, look, I don't, I play my Switch a good bit. My son plays my Switch a good bit, and I, I haven't had any issues with, hmm. um, you know the the Joy Cons, yeah, yeah, knock on wood. But you know, it remains to be seen. Um, you know, in the future, I would like to see maybe uh, just a bigger version mm. of the Switch. You know what I mean? Mm. With like bigger buttons, mm. uh, maybe a little bit more utility with like the controls. If you, because one of the big selling points was, oh, you could take the Joy Con off and play with two people, but then you had this tiny screen, and the Joy Cons aren't really fun to play with by themselves. Yeah. yeah. I, I find I'm, that I find that very interesting because you know I mean Microsoft is diversified with the PC obviously so you know in, in the X Cloud so it's very clear that that's where where they're heading or whatever yeah. else and it possibly is the last Xbox now if Nintendo were to move in that direction and just l- double down on the hardware they have which you know makes perfect sense and and use this iterative model going forward it really puts Sony in an interesting position as potentially the only console you know console innovator anymore if in any they even want to be in that market you know because you know you continually hear that there's no money in actually selling the console itself so perhaps you know wouldn't it be funny if this literally is just just by the way it works the last console for every manufacturer and they do just you know iterate on that and just you know every couple of years release you know the next level of that particular console but not you know not redefine another one i think it's fascinating that we could be on the brink of that it's quite exciting Right, right. Um, so yeah, Dreamcast launch title. Uh, we got 
Japan saw a Godzilla generation, which, uh, sorry guys, Godzilla games have never been good. <laughs> never, ever been good. How do they mess that up? I don't know, man. <laughs> just literally, just, you're a giant monster. Just have a game where you go destroy stuff and fight other giant monsters. Yeah, yeah. Um, then you did have a virtual fighter to come out in Japan, which I don't know if that came to them here. Now, this is quite the lineup, uh, in my opinion, just based off solely based off of launch titles alone. Probably one of the better lists we'll look at. Uh, now the PS2 had a pretty good lineup too. Uh, but we'll get into that later. Um, so yeah, Dreamcast saw uh, Arrow Wings, which is pretty cool. Uh, Blue Stinger, which was a terrible, terrible um, survival horror. Not a good one. Uh, it sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Expendable, um, I don't remember that one. House of the Dead 2, classic. Uh, I even had a really, like, the light gun that came out with that was really good. Uh, you could play with your, just your control, too. Um, Hydro Thunder was pretty dope. Mortal Kombat Gold, which was essentially a Mortal Kombat trilogy, but with, like, a couple more characters and, like, upgraded graphics and a bunch of unlockables and stuff. Um. NFL Blitz 2000, which was a fantastic arcade uh, football game. Now, NFL 2K, I, I had that. That was actually a pretty... Looking back, I thought it was, like, surrealistic, but the graphics were pretty terrible. But, uh... <laughs> uh Power Stone. God, there's two Power Stones on the Dreamcast. They were fantastic. I wish they'd bring it back. So it was, like, a, um... Uh... Kind of a top-down 3D arena-based fighter where you could literally um, pick up like chairs and benches and and pots and stuff and throw them at your enemy, and uh, you're smacking the crap out of each other. And you build up this meter, and then you can turn into like your super form, you know. And each each player had like their own special ability and stuff. That game was dope. That was an awesome fighter, and uh, a lot of fighting game fans desperately want a new one. I would love to see a new Power Stone. Uh, Ready to Rumble Boxing was awesome. Uh, kind of like a, you know, arcadey, silly boxing fighting game. I think, um, think Punch Out, but just same as same, but different. Uh, Sonic Avenger, of course, was actually a really solid 3D Sonic. I mean, I know we have a lot of, a lot of dumb 3D Sonic games now, but that was, that was where it started. And it was, it was, it was yeah. well, no, that's not technically where 3D Sonic started, but it, that's where it like it came out. It was actually work. We actually worth playing. Uh, Soul Calibur, of course, the OG, so good, such a good arcade port too. And that was the thing. We're kind of getting in the realm of uh, where they can port arcade games to these consoles, and they're good. Like House of the Dead Two, so, uh, like the fact they had House of the Dead Two on a console and it looked that good, played that good, was amazing. And then you had um. A bunch of fight like Sega Dreamcast had a ton of fighters. Marvel vs. Capcom two was on there. Um, one and two was on there actually. Um, played a ton of of that. That was good. Then there was a Dreamcast release of Alpha three, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> uh, so yeah, that's a pretty solid lineup. And then the European launch would come out. Um, oh wow, it only came out about a month later. 
and it would see uh, all those that we mentioned plus Dynamite Cop, which I vaguely remember that one. Yeah, Sega Dreamcast had an awesome lineup. Uh, PS2 lineup was good too. We had uh, Armored Core 2. Oh, God, that game was awesome. I played so much Armored Core 2. I heard from software was supposed to be developing a new Armored Core. Whatever happened they to are. that? Dude. Still, they're still developing. Like, I... Oh, man. Can't wait. I hope it's good. Uh, Dead or Alive 2 Hardcore. Yes. Game was awesome. Uh, Dynasty Warriors 2. What? Uh... Of course, you had Madden. Madden 2001 was actually pretty good. Played that a lot. Uh, then you had Ready to Rumble Box 2. The Ridge Racer. Street Fighter EX 3. Which the EX series was weird. That was the Street Fighter take on 3D fighter. They're they're solid. They the, the thing about those is they had like um just completely different characters. Like they had a couple of the staple characters and then they just threw in a bunch of you know, a bunch of random characters. Taken tag tournament. Yeah. Unreal tournament. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I was telling CJ earlier. Realistically, the only console I actually got to experience with like launch titles was the Xbox One and PS4. Hmm. Like, hmm. granted, all these games, I played the majority of these consoles, but never at launch. Yeah, and it was never any of the launch games. Mm. No, GameCube was a weird one because you didn't really have a lot of good launch. I mean, like, you had Crazy Taxi at launch. That was, oh, yeah, you know what? I, I I totally lied. That was actually my first console. I think I got oh, brand wow. new. The GameCube. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I got some. GameCube? I think I got some Yu-Gi-Oh card game on there. Nice. Uh, so we had uh, Luigi's Mansion, which was that game was great, man. Um, European launch yeah, Bloody Roar. That's another fighting game. I'll, I'll want another one of. A couple sports games. Anyway, the GameCube and see, we're kind of getting in that realm now where the uh, launch titles you might have a one or two good ones, and then you'd have a bunch of dump ones that were fun, but like not really console sellers. You know what I mean? Like then again, I mean you had like at you had Matt, you had Madden NFL. Which that could kind of push consoles, especially back in this period of time, you know. Um, be wrong there. It'd be interesting to see the the sales that time, <clears throat> but uh, you know, not not like back in the day we had a couple of, like really good marquee titles that would come out, like Sega Dreamcast. That 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 lineup was fantastic. Um. Here's a question for you now that we, we're getting to closer to current day and, and that comment that you mm-hmm. just made there about, you know, the, the, there's more, there's, there's less major launch titles or whatever else. Do you think, and I think it's a fair question because all three of us play on anything, you know, across, across all different sort of systems. So we're not tied to any one thing or whatever. Do you think that they, they even need games now specifically to sell a console at launch? Do you think you, you're just buying because you know, you know, the, the future of what's coming? Like it doesn't really matter anymore if if day one this this massive game is there or not. I mean, I that's an interesting question. Yeah, I, I mean, see. I I, wonder. Um, I I don't know anymore. I don't think it matters. 
Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, like, uh, like I was saying earlier, you know, Mario, for the longest time, Mario was driving the sales of games, you know. Mm. Now it's, uh, what is it? You know what I mean? Uh, at, at one point in Xbox, it was Halo, but Halo hasn't really yeah. you know, been around. Like, they've, the last couple of games has left a sour taste in fans' mouths. Um, I guess same with, same with Gears, even though I hear the latest one's pretty good. Yeah, it's something to consider because I think Nintendo, when they released the Switch, they really need, they really did need that Zelda game. They needed something to, you know, to to really yeah. claw claw back the market share or whatever else. So they couldn't mm-hmm. release, you know, and and just hope. Whereas I think now, I don't think it really matters. Like you know, you know, the games are, are are coming or whatever else. And I think, I mean, I wonder if that's mm-hmm. the shift that we're, we're so ingrained now to playing one system or the other, or even just the we're ingrained into the idea that every you know seven years or whatever the number is magic number is you just the next console comes and now i buy it you know and i just wonder if if perhaps it doesn't even matter what ships now with it i mean well nothing is shipping with it this you know is it day one now it's just the console but i mean you you could even get bundles at least in the ps3 when it came you know and ps4 but now i think even that's gone you know it's just whatever (laughs) right yeah i mean that's a good point you know um and that was my kind of like my my argument with the PS4 is like we know these games are coming, you know, just wait for them, you know. And, and that's the thing. Like when the PS5 was announced, everyone's looking at the launch titles, like judging the console off the launch titles. I'm like, you can't do that because if we did that historically, consoles would never sell mm. because you know it's like just have a little patience. If you've waited this long for it, you know, don't mm. buy it day one. Like if you don't want to buy it day one, don't mm. wait. You know, yeah. we kind of live in an age now where like people feel pressured to, to to buy things. Like, you know, um, they used to listen to a lot of like "P.S. I Love You" back when Colin Moriarty was on the show, and that's something that he drilled in the listeners' ears. Was like, just wait. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to buy it day one. Just wait. Wait for reviews. Wait for your finances to be in check. You know, wait for um, you know, just wait. Just just have patience. You know, people just don't have patience anymore. And I feel like people, you know, um, because it, because PS4 has been so successful, and you know Xbox had kind of stumbled a little bit this generation, um, you know, there's been this like Sony owners have had this pride in owning PlayStation, and, and you know, and it, it might have ensued a, a console war. A lot of people, there's some people that I've heard recently that state that there's no console war. I don't believe that. I believe there is, and I really feel I feel like it's all just a good fun, you know, like. We don't honestly think that we're we're better because we own PlayStation, and Xbox owners honestly don't think they're better because they own Xbox. Yeah, because you're all peasants. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) you know it's 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 a video game console. I mean, come on, let's be real. Yeah, and really, I feel like that the people that are getting real butthurt about it is the ones who have friends they want to play with who have maybe converted over. Or decided they want to try a different console, and they don't want them to because they want to have they want to have that ecosystem within their friend group. Yeah, but you know it doesn't always work that way. Like I sacrificed a lot of gaming time to play Magic. <laughs> like it's not even a video game, but you know, and, and, and I missed out on a lot of good games. But you know, that's what I wanted to do, and, and people are going to make their choice. You just kind of. You know, you gotta let people make their own own decisions. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I think 
I think, I mean, there's definitely no console war. I mean, when you look at what the actual console war was, they were three companies going at each other hard, really hard. I mean, now mm. the three companies are the same. You know, the, the boxes are almost identical in many aspects. You know, they're, they're so close that it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Everything's going to run on, on both of them. Or, you know, even the Switch is managing to run a lot of this stuff too. You know, and once they bring the, you know, the next iteration of it, 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 will, it will keep up as well. But I think gamers, they, they get trapped in into an ecosystem not not every gamer but a lot of gamers get trapped into an ecosystem and you know you're you're advocating there that it was your choice to play magic and you that's what you wanted to do but i think a lot of gamers miss out on games because they they just tie themselves to this company that at the end of the day is a company they don't care they're like you know they of course they want you to keep buying their product but they're a company they're not your friend you know they're not part of your family and they don't you know you you can see other people as well you know you're not you're not locked in here and you know, if you are missing out on things because of that, that, that's you. That's not the company or the ecosystem. That's you and your choice, as you say. So it does work. It does work both ways, I think. You know, some people miss out, unfortunately, because of that. But the other thing I've noticed this time around, too, is that, you know, if you believe people, every man and their dog is either getting an Xbox X or a PlayStation 5. Now, that is logistically fucking impossible because there are not enough of them. But, you know, everywhere oh. you look, oh, I've pre-ordered one, I've pre-ordered one. And What's been really interesting for me, because, you know, I didn't and, I, you know, I said that I didn't and I have no problem with that. I'm quite excited that I haven't, to be honest, maybe more excited than the people that are getting this thing, I think, now. Because it is a sense of like, well, I don't just don't need to worry. But the number of other people that have now come forward or have sent messages to me and like, yeah, I'm not going to get one, you know, or not straight away, not for, for some time. And, and this and it, it's almost like, I mean, the fear of FOMO is a real thing, obviously, you know, and, and yes, you know, in previous generations we've talked about today the games have pushed you onto the system but there is nothing pushing you anymore and you know like now whether playstation will five will be able to party chat with ps4 like who knows like i don't know you know whether xbox mm. will be that they they will be the social problems that you're going to have to deal with of course if, if your friends move but you know and you don't move or whatever else but but gaming wise it there's no there's no rush at all. And I mean, only a fool would think that Microsoft and, and PlayStation don't realize that the majority of their market for the next year after release is still going to be this gen systems. That's where the majority of their sales are still going to be. It's going to take people time to move across. So interesting, but. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like, um, I feel like there's a lot of uh, unanswered questions too moving into this generation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like you brought up a good one. Like, how's party chats going to work? You know what I mean? Like, will we be able to. Is PS4 going to be integrated into some sort of party system with the PS5 for people who don't have. Because if you're still playing PS4 games with your PS5, if you're still playing PS4 games with your PS5, like, you know. um. Are you going to be able to chat with other people? And, you know, I, I actually want to know what they're going to do with as far as streaming because, you know, yeah. the fact that they in implemented streaming with the PS4 was kind of cool, but it was very limited. So I'd like to see more options for streaming PS5. Now, whether or not they'll decide to do it, I don't know. I don't know if, like, they can go all in on that just because, you know, there's, there's, um, you know, uh, so many people going out now buying like Elgato's and setting up with OBS Streamlabs and stuff. So, mm. you know, I, I mean, we, we, I don't see why they wouldn't do that. 
I mean, uh, the system is should technically be as powerful as a modern, like a high end modern PC now. So realistically, it shouldn't have any issues being able to play games and stream, like stream it to Twitch or whatever. Yeah, uh, look, I I agree with you. I'm sure it will, but I think the point is is that nobody knows. And I mean, you're talking about a console that you know releases in like a month's time or so, give or take a few days. And you know, the only thing you really know is how much you've agreed to pay on your pre order. There's so much that's not known, and you know, we didn't talk about it today, and we won't get into it. But I mean, Sony, you know, recently with this trophy patch they put in, I tell you what, if I was a Sony player, I wouldn't be filled with confidence. That was a slapstick thing that was done surely in the last week as a, as a as i think they thought as a people pleaser and it's turned out to you know it's been implemented badly it doesn't work you know when they said it would work it works for some people you know it, it hasn't had the desired effect for the niche group of people that they were aiming for and i think there's going to be a lot of this stuff that i'm sure they've figured out on their end but they haven't communicated any of it you know, and I like. I, it seems to me, again, not not knowing the full thing of the other consoles, but at least you had a much better idea of what you were getting into. Whereas this time, if anything, it has just shown that how willing people are. And yes, maybe because you're in your home and you've got nothing else to do at this this time in the in the world, you know, particularly. But how willing people are just are to blind faith throw money at these two companies, you know, on both sides, is is just wonderful. You know, it's wonderfully alarming as well, and. Yeah, you know, I just I, none of that's ever talked about, and you know, I know I come across maybe as bitter or whatever, but it's, you know, from a realist point of view, it's just insane to think that you're, you know, you're not dropping a hundred bucks either. It's substantial, you know, it is money that you, and you know, it's not yeah. only the the five hundred you're dropping; it's the other four hundred you're dropping later that afternoon or that week to buy something to play on the bloody thing. So you know, like you're, you're dropping money on something you don't know really a hell of a lot about, and I think that's. It's it's interesting that we've got to the point where where the fanboyism, you know, for want of a better word, has has allowed that to happen. And it must be wonderful sitting in Microsoft and Sony, just knowing that people are just writing bloody blank checks to them, basically, and like, oh shit, we'll deliver something. But you know, we got their money now. It's just insane, like how far we've moved. I think, you know, from from them having to sell us consoles to them just providing enough because they don't need to sell it anymore. People will buy it. Right. So that's a, that's well, where we're at. All launch titles aside, good or bad, could be worse, could be the Wii U. (laughs) So there you go, listeners. It was my pleasure to join T-Bird and Frosty to discuss some launch lineups and, well, look, a whole manner of things, I suppose. A little bit of gaming history right there. Of course, if you're looking for the Loot Bros, or if you'd like to hear more from them, they are a weekly gaming podcast. They're available on all good podcast providers. They have a Discord and a Facebook group where you can check them out further. So why don't we jump in to the Platinum shoutouts, the Push to Plat Platinum shoutouts. Don't forget, you too can get a shoutout if you so desire by either joining the PlayStation 4 free-to-join community or in the Discord, in the thread. And we're starting this week with Mr. Tam, number 97, Erica. It's a fun little FMV. Took me six playthroughs. I did three blind, two with a guide for cleanup, and then one extra because I clicked the wrong thing at one point in number five because I autopiloted. 
that's kind of a long game. I think each playthrough is like an hour and a half to two hours or something. So it's probably f slightly frustrating by the time you get to the fifth one. I'm not sure how much variation is in there, but look, I played it. Well, I played it through twice. It was fun. So congratulations, sir, as you approach the big milestone, the number 100 plat. The Alpha Seagull, a completion here on the Xbox, a Plague Tale Innocence 1000G. That's a wonderful, a wonderful game. Also on the Game Pass. What a surprise. Renichi, number 170, Mad Max. Here it comes, the Mighty Duster. Congratulations, sir. You avoided the glitch and you deserve the Platinum. Number 171, Red Faction Armageddon. Just like the name, that plat sounds terrifying. So congratulations for taking it down. MZ Nitro, number 20, one word by Paugi. Short and easy for the G, triple, quadruple, five tuplet, T, S, C of it. Congratulations, and I hope you enjoy enjoying it, MZ. It looks like we're both passengers with this crazy Japanese man doing all the work, and I love it. Gaz Davis 11, Plat 62 and 63, epic word search on PS4 and Vita. Congratulations, sir. Another quality platinum and a quality game from a quality gamer. Boston George, number 187, Batman, The Enemy Within. I thought the Batman story was forced to go a certain direction, but this game pleasantly surprised me with how wrong I was. That's wonderful, sir. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful, a wonderful series, and uh, it's, a, it's a good legacy, I suppose, that Telltale left us. One of their, their better efforts, I think. Ed the Shed, 2014. Number 131, Birthday of Midnight, N.A., and number 132 and 133, Stormbreaker, the game. Both EU and NA stacks. Some wonderful high-quality spam, of which we talked the birthday of midnight. I understand the Swordbreaker is some sort of a VN as well, and I look forward to, to trying that sometimes you game in the near future. And to wrap us out today, listeners, we have Redbeard Rick, number 195, Ether One. Made easy peasy by following the amazing tech walkthrough by the wonderful, wonderfully talented Velvet. Congratulations, Rick. That's another that one I've never tried, but I hear I hear interesting things about it. So i I may I may look at that. I imagine that is also a G Triple T Quadruple T Quadruple T SC game of value. So listeners, it's been wonderful to be with you again this week. May you continue to have an awesome time gaming. May the trophies fly every which way, as always, and land on your account. We'll be back next week with a live guest, or guests perhaps. We'll wait and see. Have a great week. I'll catch you soon. Push to Pat podcasts are conceived, written, and edited by CJ Anderson in Adobe Audition. YouTube upload handled by Repurpose.io. Music licensing by Artist.io. Push to Pat would like to thank all our Patreon supporters with special mention to our Patreon producers, Zadol VP, Redbeard Rick, Ready to Ebag, and MZ Nitro. Without your support, this show would cease to exist. If you would like to say hi, jump into the Discord in the show notes or on Twitter at push to Plat. If you're interested in supporting the show, then jump on Patreon, the push to Plat Patreon, where you can find more information on how to support us and to allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests and topics from around the world.